Hey friends, you know what I don't miss at all? That vicious week before the period. Feeling like I'm ready to crawl out of my skin, irritated by everything and everyone around me. Bouncing between cravings for salty foods and sweets and back again. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control from Happy Mammoth. Estro Control contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a menstruating person's life. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what people mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Happy Mammoth products, including Estro Control. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate, and Black History Month is over, y'all. Black History Month is officially over, but guess what? Black people are not just uh, a fixture in time. Uh, we represent uh, the the entire uh, potential and promise um, of America, right? We are we walk around every day, and in spite of white supremacist systems. Uh, built to design to exploit and harm us for the benefit of the majority. We're still here. Um, and you know, I'm appreciative and just humbled by being able to be part of such an incredible community. Um, there's so many points of evidence, things that we could look at over the last several hundred years while we should not even be here. Um, yet we're still not only alive, but we thrive. And so you know, I do hope for organizations that maybe started their Black History Month programming late or feel like they missed the boat on something that they would they would still honor black people in and outside of their workplaces, especially as we think about, you know, Women's History Month. It's interesting, too. There's been some comments around this. The brands that were very silent during Black History Month are very loud during Women's History Month. But surprise, surprise. Women are also black, you know, so this is also so for those of you who decided to try to sidestep uh, blackness by ignoring Black History Month, uh, you have yet another opportunity to honor and recognize all black women uh, and brown women uh, in, in this in the month of March. And so to not do that would be a mistake. Um. Again, black women, black and brown women and black women specifically are the reason why you're probably listening to this podcast and in some way or another, um, they are the bedrock by which um, all of our technical, scientific, uh, economic achievements have been built and made either um, in, either as by exploiting black women or stealing from black women. Or, or in the rare instances, very rare instances, allowing black women to lead, uh, we have the world that we we have today. And so, hopefully, <coughs> if you're a brand listening to this, hopefully, 
you take advantage of this season and honor black women. You know, it doesn't even have to be some huge grandiose gesture that you you do for PR points. You could just, you know, pay black women equally. You could um, create some meaningful programs that give them resources and challenge some of the the barriers and obstacles they face in your company every day. You could create new policies with your HR and legal teams so that you're not only attracting talent, but you're retaining it too, right? Like there's all types of things you could do to honor black and brown women and men, specifically black women, even outside of Black History Month. I, I know it's, it's wild, but it's true. Uh, look, all that being said, you know, I talked about, you know, you could be a company that continues to celebrate black history even outside of uh, a federally mandated or, or designated rather. Certainly it's a mandated <laughs> federally designated month. And, you know, a brand that comes to mind is Pfizer. Like we continue to do um, an extended campaign with them, you know, really picking up from last year. And I'm excited about this conversation I was able to have uh, with Nathaniel Garcia. Look, uh, Nathaniel is a brilliant brilliant brother uh, it was a phenomenal conversation i mean i really had to cut it short honestly this interview and the next one you're going to hear truly some of the firest content like we've we've had like really excited about these interviews excited about these discussions excited about you not only hearing nathaniel's story but then hearing his perspective on like navigating this workplace right um and i, I don't want anyone to like misconstrue like the purpose of living corporate is to center and amplify historically marginalized voices. That is the point. And we do that through our podcasts. We do that through our web shows. We do that through our uh, talk spaces on Twitter that are then turned into podcasts. We do that through our research content that we co-publish with Blind. You know, we, we do that through our blogging series. We do that through of multitude of channels, but understand that that is our mission. And I'm just, you know, I've been really thankful and excited about all the conversations we've had as a part of this Pfizer campaign, but these last few have been really, really special. And so my hope is that you, you listen, that you enjoy and, um, and that's what you'll be hearing after we, after you uh, hear a few announcements from us, we'll be going right to that. Okay. I'll see you soon. Living Corporate is brought to you by Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program. It's incredible. Okay, so first off, you didn't know, Rosetta Stone is a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They have fast language acquisition, meaning you're actually going to pick up the language because it's going to provide an immersive experience for you through their program. Speech recognition gives you a trainer for your accent. Convenient, right? You can use it on your computer. You can use it on your phone. Incredible value. Lifetime membership has all languages for any and all trips or language needs in life. That's lifetime access to 25 language courses Rosetta Stone's offers for 50% off. That's a steal, y'all. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, living corporate listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com backslash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com backslash today, today.
Nathaniel, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Pretty good, Zach, my brother. I'm happy to be here with you. Hey, man, I'm happy to be here with you as well. Let, look, let's just let's talk about your journey. You've been here, you know, at Pfizer since 2018. You know, what drew you here? And I'm looking at your LinkedIn because, you know, I'm I'm not a creep, but I just do my research. I was going to say it's a little creep. Um, While I'm talking to you, a little, a little, a little creep. creep. Little. Yeah, yeah. Light creep, light creep. Uh, but, but what drew you here straight from college? Um, I, I got to be honest with you. Um, I, I ended up at Pfizer by accident, Zach. Um, I was uh, working my way through school, getting, uh, picking up my, my BA in biology at Manhattan College. And um, I was doing the ambulance, right, as an EMT on the weekends and overnight shifts. And, and I got to be honest with you, you know, doing organic chemistry during the day and, and saving lives at night is not easy. Right. I was I was suffering from burnout really bad. And I wasn't able to actually put some of the time that was necessary into my studies to be successful. And one of my ambulance partners says, hey, you know, I do my my overnights and, and some of the off hours at this place called Pfizer and Pearl River. They keep EMTs on their security staff just in case the scientists work late um, that, you know, some health professionals are around in case of emergency. Right. Um, so I was like, that sounds like I would fit right in. Right. So, you know, the security staff, they do a couple of tours overnight. But in between, you know, and on your lunch. It's nothing like what it would be in the ambulance, right? There's a lot more free time and it's a lot less urgency and, and a lot less stress, right? So I was like, oh, I might be able to do some of that or go studying while I'm actually at work over at Pfizer. Um, don't tell my old boss that though, right? Um, <laughs> um, and so, you know, I applied for that job. Luckily, I got it and um, started rubbing elbows and shoulders with scientists and figuring out what it is that that Pfizer does here at Pearl River and, and what vaccine research and development is all about. And by the time I finished my bio degree, um, I kind of, you know, bumped into one of my my colleagues in the hallway and said, hey, you know, I just, just got this brand new bio degree. You think I could use this here? And she was absolutely you should apply to this link. We'll figure out a way to get you in. And lo and behold, uh, a few weeks later, I was uh, I was a full time colleague, man. Man, that sounds super, super dope. I, you know, like it almost sound like something like like in a movie or something. So <laughs> you were so you were studying in college, but then you were also an EMT. You was riding in the ambulances at nighttime. Yeah, man. Yeah. So uh, when I graduated high school, my, my, my educational journey is, is much more non-traditional than most students. Right. Especially most mm. students that you'll find in, in STEM. Um, when I graduated high school, I was I was not excited about the premise of going to college. And I'd always promised to my family, you know, I, I'm going to go be a, a brain surgeon. This is what my thing was. Right. That's that's I wanted to go into neurology and, and more specifically surgery. Right. Um, mm. But when I graduated high school, I was I was schooled out, man. I was I was drained. And so when I got to college, I, you know, had been, you know, promoting and, and planning events for quite a while. And I was starting to make a little bit of money doing it. And I was able to convince my immigrant parents that, uh, you know, this might be my future. I'm going to, you know, take a couple of years and figure out what it is I exactly want to do with my life. Um, and in the meantime, I'll be able to make some money doing this event planning thing. And so I, you know, put a PowerPoint together and showed the, the scalability of the business to my parents. And my mom made me make a deal with her. She said, listen. It's 2006. By 2010, your, your, your classmates that you're graduating with now are going to be graduating college. If by that time you are not a millionaire the way you say you're going to be, you take your butt back to school. <laughs> Go get that degree that you promised me you were going to get. Right. I didn't I didn't um, struggle as an immigrant here so that you could throw parties for a living. Her exact words. Right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, along that journey, needless to say, I did not make a million dollars. I went to go get that degree. <laughs> but one of the most important things that happened on that journey is actually I, I lost my mother um, and, and, and God rest her soul. 
one of the last things that she gave me was a bookmark. And this was right around 2010. I lost her in 2011. And on that bookmark was a quote. And on that quote, it said, uh, it is never too late to be what you might have been by George Eliot, which was her saying, all right, you had your four years. You gave it your best shot. Go get that degree. Right. <laughs> and after she yeah. passed, it was kind of like, you know, I, I didn't have it. The, the, all of the, the accolades that I told her I was going to go get. Right. I didn't have that paper. I didn't have that that fulfillment. Um, and so I used a little bit of money left from my business to go get my EMT, EKG and phlebotomy certs and and kind of led me to the ambulance and my way here to Pfizer, like I said. That's incredible, man. You know, um, a couple things there. First of all, you know, it sounds like you and your mother were very close. I, I relate Absolutely. to that. Uh, for me growing up, it was mostly me and my mom, too. Uh, thankfully, um, and I say as a privilege and gracious, I would say she's she's still here with me. Oh, thank um, you. But it also sounds as based on what you're sharing that I can't imagine the amount of resilience you've been able to build up mentally um, as you just kind of navigate the space that you navigate. We're going to get to it, too. Um, you know, <laughs> parallel to all of this work that you're talking about that you've been doing at Pfizer and again, pre Pfizer's EMT, you know, you've been really engaged in the education space. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, um. You know, my mom, again, I'm, I'm going to talk about my mom a lot here. Um, she mm. one of the things she always instilled in me is that, you know, by virtue of your privilege, um, you are going to be the first to walk through many doors in your life. Your responsibility being the first is to make sure that door stays open for folks to follow you. Folks that look yeah. like you, folks that share your life experiences, folks that come from the neighborhood that you came from. Um, and so education it's the most natural way to give back. Right. So I, I spent a lot of my time in, in college tutoring um, for the bio, biology department, even when I graduated. Right. I, I spent a lot of time tutoring standardized tests for, for kids that came from neighborhoods like the one I grew up in the Northeast Bronx. Right. Ones that don't necessarily have the opportunity um, to, to receive services like that. And, you know, these tests are not necessarily designed for us to do well. Uh, and so I like to do my part in bridging that gap and education and mentorship and, and the like. That's just, you know, me fulfilling my obligations to folks um, that that share similar experiences. This podcast, Living Corporate, it's brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all in one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online, whether you're just starting out or managing a growing brand. Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website, engage with the audience, and sell anything from products to content to time, all in one place on your terms. Let me tell you something. Y'all might not know this, but Living Corporate, we started our whole journey on Squarespace. My website, ZacharyNunn.com, it's on Squarespace. I can't tell you how much I appreciate its fluid engine, the ability to create world-class templates and design. It's very intuitive, incredible. We have custom merch through our Squarespace. We have an incredible asset library, so I can always mix it up, switch and swap. It's super dope. And the fact that you can host all types of content, video, audio, all types of media, you can put all on your Squarespace. I can't recommend it enough. If you want to learn more about Squarespace, Check out squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com backslash corporate to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, that's squarespace.com backslash corporate to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. 
Well, no, you say something, you say a lot there, right? In that, in that you see yourself, you said obligated. The reality is like, man, my challenge, and we're going to talk about this in a minute. I ask you about your, you know, your time, um, about your background, how you show up, but it sounds as if not even sounds as if you saying you see yourself as having a shared responsibility for providing and supporting um, accessibility and yeah. equitable experience and opportunity for other <laughs> folks that look like you. Um, and it was wild, Nathaniel, because I don't know, man, if that's like a collective consciousness that we have amongst like black and brown people. We're recording this during Black History Month, right? And like a theme mm-hmm. of a theme when you think about Black History Month and just like the people that we really venerate is that right. they all have like this shared sense of community. Like they're not like that individualism thing and like that just and like kind of glorifying selfishness. That's not really that doesn't really vibe, right? Like historically right. with like the people that we venerate. So like where did you do you, would you say that you got that mentality from your mother also? You know, I came from a family that that was really supportive of me. Right. And and really early on, I was able to recognize that all of my successes and achievements are not a direct result of, of my efforts alone. Right. Without being propped up by my family and my, my support networks along the way, uh, friends and, and the like, um, I wouldn't be here, man. You know what I mean? And, and it, it took quite a few people to have vested interest in my success, even when I couldn't see it for myself um, in order for me to get to where I am. And so I think I think it's a really important thing. You know what I mean? And and I think, you know, the perspective and I don't quote rappers often. Right. And, and but 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 Jay-Z said once um, they look at us like crabs in a barrel. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, um, but mm-hmm. nobody. Oh, right. But nobody recognizes that crabs are not supposed to be in a barrel. Mm-hmm. And if crabs work together, they'd be able to get out of that barrel. Right. But first, you mm-hmm. have to recognize that you're in one. And so I'm fortunate enough to, to, you know, be able to pick my head up and look around and see that barrel and understand that if we work together, right, the sky's the limit. Yeah. This barrel cannot contain us. Thousand percent, man. You're right. But like to your point, it's community. And there's you're right. Like there's a there's a need to address like the premise. Right. First of all, crabs didn't don't the natural habitat is not a barrel. So it's to have the empathy and grace to acknowledge, OK, the system is not natural for these crabs as we extend the metaphor uh, and dually or simultaneously we can hold that um, you know collaboration and a communal mindset really uh, supports and drives liberation so I agree with you 100 yeah. percent you know let's let's talk a little bit more you, t- you again you've talked about your family a little bit you talk about the fact that you know you're the child of immigrants you know what does your upbringing how what role does your upbringing and background play in how you show up at Pfizer and in your and in your educational efforts uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, I'll tell you, it plays a much more significant role for me now than it ever has. Um, now that I'm an adult, now that now that I have uh, the privilege of being a leader in this space, um, showing up as my authentic self is really, really paramount for me. Right. That That's first and foremost. If I can't be me, then I can't be here. Um, so it's really nice to have that support from the collective organization. Right. And, and for folks to see in me what I see in me and then even beyond. Um, but for, for me, my, my folks, and you know, uh, I, I'm not sure if you're, you're from immig- an immigrant background, right? I guess all of us are, if we're, we're Americans in some way, shape or form, but, um, sure that struggle, right? <laughs> that struggle, um, and seeing my mom and my dad and, and my grandparents uh, more specifically work to get everything that they have. Right. And I don't mean work nine to five. I mean, multiple jobs. I mean, 
work, nurses, work, right? Like things that I would never sign up to do. (laughs) And maybe that's my privilege, right? But they set the bar here. And so it's my job, right, as the next generation to bring that level up and then for the next generation to bring that level up. Um, And so I think I think the the work ethic is primary. I think the the morals are primary. Um, And I think that those experiences, you I can't put enough credit to them. Yeah. You know, you you say so you're right. So like I'm I'm black American. um, And so, yes, we're all um, immigrants by by choice or or by not um, into this country. Um, but yeah, you know, t- even still, you know, my people came most, my whole family's from Mississippi. Yeah. So, um, so both sides of my family were sharecroppers. They picked cotton. My grandparents both said to my grandfathers, they didn't have, they didn't finish school. They didn't, fi- right. my, they didn't finish middle school, elementary or middle school. Right. Um, and so, you know, take when I, w- they would take me back like to my great grandmother's ho- house and I would talk to my great grandmother and, and I was blessed and fortunate enough to be able to meet my great great grandmother. Right. Wow. And talk to her about. Right. Talk to her about her grandmother, who was a slave oh my and talk about. Right. And talk about, you know, the fact that, hey, and like they showed me like the fields. Hey, this is where we used to work like like and not my great grand. I'm talking about now I'm talking about my grandparents. Right. Mm-hmm. Talk. They tell me about like, yo, like I remember when I had to do all these things, then looking at my mother who um who was an educator but then also had part-time jobs at Home Depot and Walmart and Target yeah. right so she was a full-time teacher teaching English in high school and then also somehow was able to work you know like some part-time retail job just for us to, to yeah. you know for us to get what we needed and I'm not I'm not that person to be like I I didn't have dirt floors right we had power we had I knew I had food um every every day you know but at the end at the same time I looked around I was like okay I got to a certain age and then she would also be honest with me. Like, look, we don't make a lot of money. I can't do blah, 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 blah. Like we would, we would have those conversations. And so I think it's, you know, it's important for, for us. And I say us, I'm talking about like just the diaspora, like, you know, it's to just continue to remember, like to your point of like, okay, they gave us this. We're now privileged to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and I hear you. And that goes into morals and hard, just doing right by people, doing right by yourself, right. working hard. Um, you know, even even as working hard might be out of phase, even if you're not going to necessarily break your back for it's not about breaking your back for a brand. It's about like working hard for your last name and your like the again, like you said it like, yo, you legacy here laddering right. up. It's the legacy right. thing. Right. right. Um, so you're, what you're doing, you're invested in yourself. Of course. Of course. And I'd be remiss if we didn't take a time out. To, to give a shout out to all of the the ancestors and predecessors, especially the moms that that just made it work. If it, however many shout jobs out. you still came home, you still had food, you still got woken up in the morning, you still got taken to school. You know what I mean? So um, mm-hmm. I think that's the backbone. That's where it starts. Right. Um, from, yeah. from very humble beginnings in Jamaica. And I went and you mentioned going back to, to Mississippi to see how your your grandparents and great grandparents used to live. I could not believe the conditions that my mother grew up in when I went to visit in Jamaica. But, right. Like yeah. you're talking about bathrooms outside, no running water, no power cooking on hot rocks. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's yeah, man. And like, and like, that's the, it just, it, it humbles you so much. Right. And you talk about like all these systems you talk and like just the, the impacts of, um, of, uh, imperialism, colonialism and like, but then also just like, okay, then zooming back to you, it's like, okay, you're not, you're here now. Like you have this opportunity 
this is where your people came from. Here's how hard, here's all the things they did. If they didn't do all that thing, all that work, then you would even be here. So what are you going to do now with that opportunity? So to that end, right? Like, let's talk about, let's, let's, let's pivot a little bit to Pfizer. Um, you're a millennial. Uh, I think like we're roughly the same age. Uh, most of us millennials are not trying to stay in no job long, right? Like, you know, I, I <laughs> listen, and the, and the thing, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> We're a little better than the Gen Zers by a smidge. Look, hey, 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 let's be very clear. Them Gen Zers look around two weeks, be like, hey, this ain't really the vibe. The I'm out. I'm gone, <laughs> right? They, they, not, they was talking about us millennials, but they weren't ready. So, but, but, but here's the thing. You're absolutely right. Like we're not as bad as Gen Z is. And we're going to, that's, it's going to be a curious experience. It's, just, it's curious to see what, what that progresses to. It looks like in the next five to seven years. But, and I'll say this is for me, like I'm, like I am, I'm the job hopper that everybody talks about, right? I've been, I'll be enrolled two, three years and I'm gone. Now, now I'm over here. Um, my current role, I finally figured out a place that I believe I'm going to be at for a while. Right. But it, it took, a, but it took a second, right. It's, you know, it, it checks a lot of really unique boxes. Um, right. I think that for, for us, for us to stay, for us to, you know, really have a role and for us to stay and be somewhere long-term, it has to check some unique boxes. Like for me, I was looking for, okay. Um, is the leadership black? Um, uh, is it a majority black or brown company? Um, will I be empowered to really lead and grow the business? Um, will I be, am I respected? Am I heard? Am I sponsored? Am I, yeah. you know, it was like a lot of things that I needed for my experience shaped by past traumas in corporate spaces. And so I'm curious for you. I'm, I'm confident. I've talked to several of the people in my generational cohort. That is not unique. Like everyone has their own check boxes that they right. need satisfied. I'm curious, like, what has kept you at Pfizer and what do you project or predict will keep you at Pfizer? So for me, um, I think it starts with my preparation to get into medical school, right? Um, mm -hmm. So you mentioned falling in love with, with the space that you're in, right? Um, in order to be an attractive candidate for med school, you have to do a certain amount of clinical hours, which I, which I got from the EMT work, right? Patient care. And then in addition to that, you have to do a certain amount of research, right? So I was, I was fortunate enough to land a research opportunity at Wild Cornell Medical College. And when I got there, Zach, I sucked. I stunk it up in the lab, man. I was knocking stuff over. My gels were coming out real bad, streaky. Like it was, it was really bad, right? Um, my cells were dying on the first pass. Uh, but, you know, as, as we're taught, you got to be twice as good. So being half as good is certainly not acceptable. Um, and so mm -hmm. I kind of put my nose to the grinding stone and worked on my skills. And, and by the end of that summer, I was a pretty solid technique wise scientist. Right. Um, and I had really fallen in love with the laboratory. I didn't, I didn't have that love when I got there, but, but by the time I left, I was really endeared to the bench. Um, and so mm -hmm. it kind of was a natural progression, right? It was a really organic relationship for me to transition from an EMT on the security staff into a laboratory scientist at Pfizer. The other thing is, um, for example, I, I got a chance to work on the COVID vaccine. But when I got here at Pfizer, right, being a scientist was not a sexy job, right? Now scientists are getting a lot of credit, right? We got some clout now, um, but it was not the case when I got here. <laughs> um, and at that time, our blockbuster uh, vaccine was one of the best selling vaccines of all time. But I, I bumped into the, a sign in the hallway one day that said a billion doses given. 
And now we know, you know, four years removed, four and a half years removed, that we have over upwards of four billion doses of our COVID vaccine. Right. I could live to be 200 years old as a brain surgeon and not hit a billion patients. Mm. So when you talk about impact. Right. And that's not to take anything away from the folks on the front line. They have guts for stuff that I don't have anymore. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah. impact on global health. When I tell you that I, I was on the team that designed the cl- clinical assays that got COVID from conception to market. Right. And now mm. four billion people have been affected by something that I worked on. That's global impact. So for me, that's when I knew that I can make myself a home here. In addition to that, the network. Right. Now, I won't I will tell you this. It is not a majority black and brown company. <laughs> that is not the case. And I will never I will never begin to fix my lips to say that. Um, but the folks that are here do a tremendous job at building a network and building a community and making sure, like I said, that door stays open. You know, you know, recently to that to that point, right, like recently Pfizer had a panel um, for the interns uh, featuring some prominent black leadership advisor, including Sherry Cassano, mm-hmm. who we just we just had on um, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Sherry's great. I'm curious. Yeah, she's great. Um, I, I'm curious, like what your experience has been looking for mentors and sponsors and what advice you have for black folks in leadership positions um, to lift as they climb. Ah, so that's a very good question. Um, I've had first, let me say this. I've had an awesome experience. Right. Um, I think that as long as you're putting your best foot forward, generally people are going to recognize that. And people that look like you and have similar backgrounds and kind of can see themselves in you are always going to look out. Right. Um, I will say that we do need more black and brown faces in leadership. And we're, we're working towards that. Right. Albert made uh, equity one of our, our core values. And so he's, we're very deliberate about increasing numbers in those spaces. Um, but mentorship for me has been tremendous. Um you know, you're always going to deal with certain situations as a person of color, whether it be microaggressions or whether it be, you know, feeling othered or being one of few in the room. Right. Um, or being credentialed when you walk into a room because you don't look like most of the folks there. Um, but I'll, I'll say that that my mentors do an excellent, excellent job at, at um, identifying ways for me to be a more productive leader. Right. And for me to amplify my voice in certain spaces. So it, it, it's going to depend on the relationships that you're building for sure. Um, but I'll say that our black leaders will always make time for us. All you got to do is reach out if you have a question and it might not be same day. Right. These folks are very busy, <laughs> but you will absolutely be able to get some time on the calendar. It may be a month from now, but it's on you then to make sure that that time counts for something. You got to make sure that you're getting the most out of the face time that you have with these leaders. Um, I think they do a tremendous job at lifting as they rise. Um Obviously, there's some work to go. We got we got some work to do in, in terms of, of building our numbers and, and creating a community that is self-sufficient. Um, but our leaders are really incredible, man. And, and they're pushing the needle farther and faster than a lot of places that that uh, like our, our, our neighboring companies. You know, there's something about like, our and we, you know, we've had um, we've had some other folks on as part of, um, you know, our, our extended series with Pfizer and for me and we've talked to, and we've talked about like experiences of you see somebody that looks like you 
and you want to engage them, right? Like, oh, can you help me with this? Or because you look at them, you're like, yo, I really want to be like that. Yeah. Right. You know, or you look at their profile and you find out, oh man, they did. Oh, they, guys, I don't even can't you like, depending on where you're sitting at where stage of your career, you're like, I can't even imagine how they did that. Right. And so you want to engage them and then you, you reach yeah. out and they don't really, they don't reciprocate or they, you know, they're, they aren't, they aren't as advertised. Like, I'm curious, like if you've ever had any of those types of experiences at Pfizer or not, but just, and like what, and what it looks like for you to manage the the disappointment there and then how you bounce back from that. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll say that I haven't had too many of those experiences, but I'm not, a, I'm not um, unfamiliar with it. Uh, I don't find those experiences to be necessarily with people that look like us, but just people that are in positions that I find interesting. Right. And when I get to mm-hmm. the first thing is I can acknowledge that when I was a little bit more junior in my career and I've only been here for five years or so, four and a half years. But in the first year or so, I was really excited to meet and engage with everybody that that I could. Right. And in a sense, to get just a general knowledge about what it took, what the experiences were. Um, but as a result, I wasn't focused in what my ask was. Right. And so if you don't get what you're looking for, you got to look at what you're asking for. That's number one. If you're really focused in what it is that you're seeking from somebody, it's a lot easier for them to engage you with you and to give you what it is that you're looking for. Right. Um, and the other thing is you have to allow folks the space to be human. Right. Hmm. It could have just been a bad day. could have been a bad week. It could have been some personal issues going on. Right. It could be that we're all very, very busy. We work to our level here at Pfizer. There's nobody here that's skating. Right. Um, and so if folks are making that time, it's it's on you. Right. As especially as the junior colleague or somebody that's seeking something to be very deliberate about what you're asking and make sure you're asking the right person. We'll talk. So, you know, it's funny because you, you 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 talked around, you talked directly to it and about it. There's a theme in some of your advice here around just being accountable and 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 being and and owning the owning the opportunity that you have, right? right? Like, you know, like one thing, and I have a I have so much. Like we've talked so many times on Living Corporate about mentorship and sponsorship, and selfishly, uh, because that's really where I've always sought support, right? In my early career, and it's of course now, but I'm blessed and really privileged now to have some incredible mentors, both um, at my current place of employment, Diversity Inc., and then also. Um, outside of that, but you know, when you think about, when you think about like, okay, you are a junior person, Mm -hmm. especially for me, I didn't have any kids. I wasn't like when I wasn't married, you have, you have way more time and than you really appreciate that you do. You're engaging folks who are like senior executives and they might have, they they have all kinds of stuff going on that you just, you're not that you probably that you may not appreciate right then. Right. So when you meet with them, right. Cause not, cause I've been on both sides. Right. So, you know, yes, well, they come to you and they might not be the chip. They might not have the chippiest disp, uh, uh, disposition, but, but they're tired. <laughs> like to your point about them being human beings, <laughs> right. like they're exhausted, right, man. They have pressures from all these people, both in their uh, organizational matrix and uh, on, on side of it. Yeah. Then they meet, sit down with you. The worst thing you can do is not have some prepared questions yeah. documented and show a willingness to take notes. That, 
and listen. That's the point, right? Right. <laughs> right. When you sit down, you're like, yo, what's your favorite color? Or like, what do you typically? It's like, yo, what am I doing? Why am like, I, here? I, I carved out four. <laughs> why am I here? I carved out 30 minutes for you <laughs> in a day that you have no idea. I had to decline. I declined something. Right. I prioritize right. this meeting. I know it was two weeks or a month later, but I'm telling you. And so, you know, we don't do, you know, we being black and brown right, we being right. younger professionals we peer the the general as we we want to use we don't we don't do ourselves favors when we don't show up right you know research do your homework do you what do you know about their profile like what are you really seeking to understand are you just looking to just like be around them like which is not shameful in no way but like but but again if you're going to ask for their time that's the thing right and you got to be back. Also, have to be cognizant that that folks that look like us and are that have made it to that position have given a lot of themselves already to get there. They already have mentees, right? You, you won't be there first, that's for sure, right? They're already doing a service, right? And so we tend to give a lot more of ourselves to each other than than some other places or other other, other backgrounds do, right? Because there just aren't as many of us. So while you know senior leaders that that might not be of our persuasion have two or three mentees, we got fifteen. Right. And so. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's like, like there's way more. So to your point, it's like I get, here's, you know, you said something and I don't think you meant it this way, but it, it hit something in me. So I wanted to say it is. You know, there's there's something about typically people that look like us by just the nature of corporate America and just America as a as an entity. I'm mm-hmm. going to use the word is. There's so much trauma that most black and brown folks, it's Black History Month we're talking about, but just members of the diaspora have to submit themselves to or push through or get therapy through or whatever Mm -hmm. the case is that by the time they get that VP title or that, like, a lot of them are tired. (laughs) They're legitimately burnt out, right? Like, and and they're, they're caring more than you may appreciate, right? And I say that now again. I'm not some whatever in terms of um, I'm not 50 something years old, but I've been, but I, but I accelerated through um, junior talent to, you know, ex- uh, mid-level uh, for, to manager or functional team leader to mid-level manager to now being like an, a true right. executive. And it's like, and I can say even in my like compressed time of a decade that, yo, like if I was to take this and I had another decade to this, it's I'm probably going to look a little bit different, right? I'm probably gonna my yeah, yeah. my capacity for certain things or my pace for certain things are probably gonna be a little bit thinner. That my triggers are gonna be higher just by the nature of wear and tear of navigating in these spaces. And so, like, you know, right. I think that's important to keep in mind, right? As you just in terms of just empathizing with people in the whole humanity point you're talking to. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think you're 100 percent right, man. You're speaking to it, right? And um, it's it, it again. You you have to allow people the space to be people, right? You never know what's going on with somebody, but you can almost be guaranteed that if you're talking to a senior leader and they're of color, their plate is full. They probably got seconds. They probably work in a second shift, right? They got one job, but they're working two shifts because, like, like my mom always told me, my my dad always told me, twice as good. Some people could show Twice up and good. not have their shirt ironed, right? Some people could show up and not have the lineup. You don't have that luxury, right? <laughs> it's facts. No, it's facts. And, and, you know, another way it shows up is in the burden to, 
um, to show your work. Right. So like, you know, I've been in, I've been in certain situations. Like I come from, um, um, I was in consulting for a while. Right. So you think of like big four, uh, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there are some people I've seen who can walk into a room and they'll have an idea or they want to have a meeting and they just show up like the, no presentation. They might have a marker and a whiteboard and mm-hmm. they up there mm-hmm. and it's just, it's a show. Right. <laughs> but then like, we can't do that. We can't just show up with no agenda, no priest, no pre-read materials, no preparation, like, oh, preparation over overly articulated strategy. Um, all of these, all of the things to validate your voice or validate your mind. Like, you know, that, that work, even that work, and it doesn't stop as you elevate. Nope. That is mentally like that fry that, that, that will fry you. Right. And so, and so to your point, like, you know, it, it shows up in different ways. Um, Look, we could keep on going. I'm this conversation is fire. <laughs> Look, you know, uh, we, we keep on talking about black, but you talked about being um, about again being a child of immigrants. Talk a little bit more about that. You know, my my impression looking at your last name is that you're you're Afro Latinx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my uh, my mother I mentioned was born and raised in Jamaica. My father is Puerto Rican and Honduran, right? Um, mm. And so yeah, I, I grew up in the Bronx and in, in the primarily Jamaican side of the Bronx in the Northeast. But obviously, very, very heavy Hispanic influences there, right? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, part of it, I don't speak Spanish, right? And, I, and let, me, let me start there with my Afro-Latinx experience. Um, I don't speak Spanish, right? But I do have the last name. And I can't tell you how many folks I've disappointed when they see my last name and see how I present. And they go to speak to me in Spanish. And it's like, uh, I'm sorry, man. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Those at a phone. Yeah. I'm working on it. I'm working on it, but I'm not, yeah. I'm not quite there yet. Um, but that's a, that's a direct result of, of being othered as my, my father was mm. raised in, in the United States. Right. So it, when he grew up in the seventies and, and early eighties, being Puerto Rican or being Hispanic was not a, a, a it wasn't cool. Right. Like, you know what I mean? There were, there were obvious persecutions for, for folks that, that were other in, in these neighborhoods, right? You got to think that these are majority white neighborhoods in the Bronx when we grew up, when my father grew up. Right. And so the Puerto Ricans on the block were the outsiders that were coming to take over the neighborhood. They, and they were very proud and very loud and very present. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, really easy to get othered in, in that sense. But as a result, you know, folks that, that, um, weren't as amenable to change, uh, pushed back against that. So my father didn't spend a lot of his life speaking Spanish. So his is pretty broken, right? Um, and my mother was very, very big in education. So I was able to speak um, and read and write at a level higher than my age when I was younger. Uh, as a result, my, I think my father felt a little bit of intimidation there. If I don't speak good enough Spanish to keep up with his English, I don't want folks to judge him based off of what it is that I'm giving him. So I never really got the Spanish, right? He didn't take the time mm-hmm. to teach me broken Spanish because it wouldn't have been necessarily a benefit. And then when I got to school and I tried to take Spanish, they said, your last name is Garcia. You can't take this class. I said, but I really don't know Spanish, man. <laughs> I really don't know oh. it, right? And they say, oh, well, you know, you, you're better off in the French class. So I spent six years studying French from, from seventh to, to 12th grade. 
And by the time I got to college, I took a year or two here or there. But if you don't use it, you know what I mean? You lose it. You're going to lose it. Quick. Straight quick. <laughs> so, so, so this is interesting, right? Because, you know, I talk about like my experience as a black American, again, family, deep, deep roots in the South. Um, mm-hmm. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about a black experience, uh, black and, um, and a Latinx experience, like more so like, again, in New York, in the Bronx, you know, talk to me. I'd just love to get, hear your perspective on, um, on intersectionality, like the mm-hmm. intersectionality and the diversity of like just the diaspora yeah. and, and ways that you've seen, um, or ways that you believe that really like, uh, that that we can all, especially as we think in this context of Black History Month, we can be more collaborative and work together, both in the corporate spaces and out of. Yeah, so so I live that intersectionality, right? Um, so you know, we most corporate places have uh, employee resource groups, advisor we call them colleague mm-hmm. resource groups. I am mm-hmm. at Pearl River for my site, the co lead of the global Black community, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now, for the contiguous United States, and I even believe in a few a few sites in in South America, they also have a Latin group, right? The the Pfizer Latin community. I'm on the enterprise level for the Pfizer Latin community, so the overarching organization that coordinates all of the specific sites and their chapters. Um, my impact at that level, right, and as a part of the Be Them pillar, um, has been some of the proudest stuff that that, and I've only been there for a month, but I know. I know that the work that we're doing and the things that we're working on are going to have profound impacts in our community and not necessarily Pfizer branded. Right. But just making sure that that what we're doing reaches folks um, that need it the most. And, you know, in COVID is is obviously the most recent example. Um, The health disparities that were highlighted throughout the pandemic are things that I'm really passionate about. Right. And so so living that and breathing that and building bridges and making sure that therapies and the breakthroughs that we're, we're generating on a daily basis almost around here um, make it to communities like the one I grew up in is something that I'm really prideful about. Um, the other thing that I, that I would be remiss to, to leave out is if we if one of us wins, we all should be winning. Right. Right. And it's not, it's not enough for us to take a step in one direction without making sure everybody can come along. So once we understand that we all have more in common and I think we, we, we are coming to this realization now, right? Which is maybe why equity is a, a core uh, a core pillar of what Pfizer is about, right? A core value, rather. Um, we can move together and we are stronger together. We will have a lot more progress together, right? And it becomes easier when we all lift together, right? Um, and so that intersectionality is one that I like because I, I get to be the bridge. I get to have one foot in and one foot in. And then I get to bring both of those resources together to push our initiatives forward because, you know, the Latin group will do work in the Latin community. The black group will do work in the black community. But it's we live together. This is the same community. It might be two streets apart, mm-hmm. but we're, we're doing the same things here, guys. Right. And so if we do it together and bring both of those communities together, you could have one event with 100 people, another event with 100 people. Let's get 200 together. Right. And then those 200 yeah. will, will have now greater resources and networking experiences based off just more people mm-hmm. being in the room. Right. More shared experiences. You know, there's so much to be said about, like you said, like, like we're doing the same things, like and we're together, like we're a street over, but we're still together. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I think like somewhere along and again, like. um. 
you know, bell hooks and others uh, have written about this uh, and speak about it much more eloquently than I, but like you think of just historically somewhere around like that, that civil rights era and post that, like, you know, we started seeing like this pivot from community to like just individualized kind of like, okay, let me make sure I protect me and mine. Right. But like right. Um, in, in pursuit of acceptance from white spaces or getting a bag or whatever the case may be. But right. like, I think we can look over the past 50 years and say, look, man, like when we are able to actually collaborate and build together, we can actually make an impact. Like, the, like, you know, the, I think like this idea of like this, like individualized Messiah thing, that's not really what's going to, what's going to move the needle. We we have right. to come together. Right, right, right. And uh, you, we could look at examples from other communities that do it really, really well. Right. Even if, even if we were just to focus on one thing, maybe not healthcare, maybe just community economics, right? Maybe just education in our, in our communities. Um, right. We have the example, right? The blueprint is there, right? We're watching, we're watching teams win championships and we're on the sidelines arguing about why we can't make the playoffs. (laughs) Right. right. Why, why you get more minutes to me? I should be coming off the pick. Like, Like, let's, yeah, let's go. Look now, um, we're talking about health equity a lot these days as it per, as it just continues to be relevant um, in this world that we engage. You know, what role have you played uh, to create a more equitable, accessible world for black and brown communities? And what are you most proud of? Oh, man, that's a that's a tough question. Um, that's a tough question. So the role that I play and, and I've, I've always been the first one to say this, I am a very small piece of the puzzle. Right. Right. Or one small mm-hmm. cog in a very giant machine that is Pfizer. What I will say is mm-hmm. this this machine, I think, historically and, and maybe most pharmaceutical companies get the same kind of rap um, was driven by dollars and revenue. And, and to a certain extent, that's always going to be the bottom line for a lot of these companies. But when you take the step to make equity a core value and you take the step to make sure that your clinical trials are diversified and representative of the populations that you're looking to serve, that is what the change needs to be, right? You need more black and brown faces and voices in the room and share different cultural experiences. That's always helpful. Diversity is what drives innovation, right? It, it, that will always be the case. It, it has to come from a new idea. And it, those new ideas often come from people that are from different spaces. You know what I mean? But I think that, yeah. what, so obviously I'm very proud of my work on, on the, the uh, community vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, but I don't know if that's what I'm most proud of. So my work at, at, mm-hmm. with, with GBC at, at the Pearl River site, um, the other day we we're working with a, an organization called Cool Nerd Connect. Um, and I kind of mentioned to you that I ended up being a scientist by accident. I was on my way to medical school. Right. And I didn't come from a family that had the privilege of knowing black and brown scientists. So I never when you think of scientists, you think of Albert Einstein. Right. Older white gentleman. Mm -hmm. You don't think of a white woman. You don't think of any women. You don't think of people of color. Right. Mm -hmm. Wasn't even wasn't even on my list of things that I could possibly be. Right. Um, The other day we were working with this this company that that works on career awareness, School Nerd Connect, as I mentioned. And we were able to bring 30 students from Mount Vernon High School to my site to come see where the COVID vaccine was developed and to come see a group of black and brown scientists, a, a group of black and brown leaders that um, see themselves in those students. Right. And are, and are able to generate and, and build experiences for them to make sure that they're just even aware 
of the possibilities that are before them. And so when I think about my legacy and what, I, what it is I'm trying to build, yes, I'm, I'm tremendously grateful for my gifts and my skills in the lab and, and the contributions I've been able to make to the science of the business, right? But when I think about the path that we're laying to move forward, that's what drives me. That's what gets me up in the morning and excited to get here because I have more programs to bring. I have more enrichment to bring to my colleagues. I have more perspectives to bring to my colleagues. And in addition, that work is being done outside of these walls, right? So when I get, get a kid to come here and when he gets here and or, or when they get there, they're looking around like, what is this place? And by the time they leave, they're excited and thinking about a career as a vaccine scientist. That's pride for me. I love that, man. Look, I'm going to be honest. This is probably the fireest interview uh, we've had as a part of the series. And I say that respectfully to everybody at Pfizer. <laughs> I appreciate you, Zach. So what, what are you doing next week, man? We can super do fire. We could do this. What what you doing tomorrow? Hey, don't play. <laughs> you need, yeah, you yeah, talk talk to talk to Ellen, talk to Erica. Uh it's nothing now. We can <laughs> That's too funny, man. Hey man, look, before we let you go, um, any parting words or shout outs? Yeah, man, a ton. I wanna I, I have an incredible network, man. Uh I have I have incredible, incredible mentors. They know who they are. They're far too many for me to 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 list. Um, and, and a couple of colleagues that stand to my right and my left that that really make it possible for me to do what it is that I do here, right? Both in and outside of the lab. My manager is incredible. He's he's really good at, at making sure that, you know, he develops weaknesses and highlights folks for their strengths and, and puts us in position to win quite often. Um, my leadership team at, at Pro River GBC, I really, we wouldn't be able to bring these programs and, and this enrichment to our colleagues and outside of our, our walls the way we do without your help. So thank you. Dr. Simpkins is our, our executive sponsor. She's the best. Um, and I want to thank my, my family, man. Um, it's been an incredible, incredible, incredible journey. And they've been, me, been with me 100%, right? Like, I, I, if I didn't have somebody to co-sign on my loans, I wouldn't have this degree. I wouldn't be in these walls. I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm, I'm doing, right? So I didn't have that privilege to, to, to be able to go with a loan. And I didn't have to, thankfully. Um, yeah. And I also want to thank you and the folks that, that, that were able to put this together. This has been really quite the experience, man. And maybe, maybe at some point, if you need a co-host, I got you. you just call my people. My people will call your people. Right. You know, <laughs> we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. No, look, don't threaten me with a good time. Nathaniel, it's been a pleasure and a privilege uh, to sit down with you. Uh, you're a friend of the show. We look forward to having you back, man. Zach, my brother, I appreciate you, man. Just keep doing the good work. Uh, yes, sir. Same to you, man. Peace. And we are back. Yo, I want to thank uh, Nathaniel again. Shout out to uh, all the black folks. Um, and, and this and look, the diaspora, we talked about this in the conversation, but first generation, uh, second generation, fifth generation, uh, Afro Latinx, um, you know, those all around the world, shout out to all the black folks, shout out to uh, black and brown people across the world. Our stories and our journeys are much more connected and interdependent than a lot of us care to admit or are comfortable embracing. But I'm just really appreciative um, of the conversation. Make sure you can learn more about Nathaniel, you want to learn more about the work that he that he's doing and supporting at Fires or click the links in the show notes. Till next time. I love y'all. Take care of yourselves. Peace.
musical elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.